Can you say, I love Sunday? I love Sunday. Come on. I love, I love, I love, I love, I love Sunday. I mean, my whole week revolves around Sunday. I start thinking about it, you know, early in the week. Saturday night, I actually take a bath, you know. Sunday is the best day of the week. I love Sundays. It, it makes for a great rest of the week when I begin Sundays uh, correctly. Uh, when, when I'm here with God's people, when I'm filled with God's word, when I praise and worship him and remember where my blessings come from, when I hear that great absolution, the forgiveness of sins, uh, said out loud. It is just so wonderful to begin each week that way. I know my family's better because of Sunday. I know that my children, because of Sunday, because they understand what life is all about, knowing that it doesn't center around them, but rather around God and the opportunity to serve others. I just love Sundays. But by 11 o'clock on Sunday, I am beat. I don't know about you. How many of you are teachers? Anybody, anybody here a teacher? So uh, second week of school, right? So you're, you're in the routine now. So a lot of you know I was a, a long time uh, high school teacher, and I used to teach seven Seven biology one classes, uh, Monday through Friday. And by the seventh, the seventh hour, I don't even know what I said anymore because I'd said it so many times. So if I kind of get off track, you know, don't worry about it. Just follow the notes, fill in the blanks. Uh, you know you're going to do that anyway. So just fill them in. And also by, you know, the third, because this is the first Sunday where we're doing the three, the three worships, uh, I'm already done after two, two services. So... Uh, pray for me, you know, during this service. You know, if we were in the South, you could encourage me, and you could say, preach it, you know, preach it. You know, if you hear something good, you could say, amen. Now, that would freak me out a little bit. So, so just don't fall asleep, all right? That's all I'm really asking. So we've talked about Sundays. Great way to start the week. Great way to start life. Knowing about Jesus makes for better families. And of course, our eternity. Even though Sundays don't make our eternity, it is where we learn more about the God who does. Now this week we're going to talk about how not only we are transformed, being people of Sunday, but how the whole world is changed through us and people like us. So we're Sunday people. In the Old Testament, people worshiped on Saturday, the Sabbath, the day of rest. They focused on God. We do it now on Sunday, obviously, because that's the day that Jesus rose from the grave. As you take a look at your bulletin this morning, then, a couple of things that I want to begin with. First of all, a memory verse. Just like school, there's always homework. So for next week, you should have this committed to memory. It's also our, our theme verse for the mission of Emmanuel. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Raise your hand if you think the world is a pretty dark place. Anybody? I know. I mean, I wish it wasn't that way. I mean, I wish it was all sunshine and butterflies, but, it, but it's not. The world is a dark place. There's all kinds of trouble. There are all kinds of people who are hurting. There are a whole lot of people who are blind as to even their purpose of why they are here. So you are the ones, you and me, a Sunday people. We're the ones who can bring light to a world that is truly filled with darkness. So here's our big idea for today. The Church of Jesus Christ, that's all Christians, 
God's Sunday people. We have done more good for this world than any other group in history, bar none. Now, that would be good news right there, wouldn't it? But we're not focused on the past. We're focused on the future and what can continue to happen. But like always, when you look to the future, you first have to learn from the past. So we're going to take just a couple of minutes, and I could have picked out any number of individuals, could have picked hundreds, even thousands. But here's five, just for argument's sake, who had a vision, who could see the future. But not only could they see it, but they did something to make it happen. So let's begin with Charlemagne, history buffs, 7th and 8th century, also known as Charles the Great. He was a Roman emperor, but what sets him apart is that he was the one who formed what was later called the Holy Roman Empire. You see, he was a follower of Jesus, and not everyone in his kingdom certainly was. And he brought them all together around the cross in the empty tomb, and he found the way to do that was simply to teach the Bible to everyone. You probably know that in many countries in our world today, it is illegal to proclaim Christianity. For example, in India, though I understand that it's not illegal to be a Christian, but it's illegal to proclaim the gospel, how do you suppose they go about doing it? And why is Christianity spreading so fast in a place like India and in places like Africa? Because what they're reading, and the government loves literacy and education, what they're reading then is something that literally transformed lives. And what would that be? It's the Bible. So there are all these groups for, for children and, and for women who are oppressed in India, giving them an opportunity to read and write and to, and to bring their, their family out of poverty. Well, they teach them how to read the Bible. Charlemagne had the exact same idea way back in the 8th century. Now, if you go to our country, again, we can name hundreds of people, but just a couple. Patrick Henry, what's his famous slogan? Give me liberty or what? Give me death. He understood that freedom of religion, freedom to worship, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom from an oppressive government, was so important that he was willing to give his life for it. And even though he was, he was quoted as saying this in the legislature, do you know where he said it first? In church. Abraham Lincoln, a devoted Christ follower, brought the union back together at a time when we were split apart, where there was all kinds of darkness in the country, abolished the tyranny of slavery, and then, much later, Martin Luther King, just go back 60 years, remember his famous speech? I have a dream. What was his dream? That his four little children would be judged on what? Not the color of, of their skin, but rather the content of their character. He was a Baptist preacher. His father was a preacher before him. And all of these, they were building on the vision that was set for us, God's Sunday people, 2,000 years ago. Now, we're all familiar because you've been to church plenty of times. You know the whole story of, of Christ's suffering on our behalf, his passion, 
his crucifixion, and then, of course, the triumphant resurrection, later on, the ascension. But do you know how the church was truly built? It all began just a few weeks before all of those familiar events. You heard it in the gospel, Linda read it earlier. Jesus was with his disciples in one of the most despicable, one of the most filthy, one of the most putrid, one of the most abominable places in the world. Caesarea Philippi, it was a pagan city dedicated to a former Caesar and his brother who was named Philip. There were all kinds of temples that were erected to foreign gods. And in those temples, literally, there was prostitution. Food also was given to, to the idols and then fed to the prostitutes who then did illicit acts so that the people then would gain favor with God. It was terrible. And in that backdrop, Jesus said, who do you say I am? You see, all this debauchery around you, you see all these, these idols around you. You see this darkness. Who do you say I am? Well, John the Baptist may be reincarnated. After all, he had his head cut off. Maybe Elijah, who was always a precursor in the Old Testament to the Messiah who was to come. Maybe Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. Okay, okay. But who do you? They I am. And then Peter, divinely inspired, says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who is to come, the son of the living God, the savior of the world. And Jesus said, good answer. But you know what? You didn't come up with that on your own. You received this vision also from my father to see what the world could one day be. And on this confession, on this truth, truly upon this person, and not Peter, but the person of Jesus Christ, God's kingdom would be built. And no power, not the Romans, not the pagans, not the Pharisees, no one in nothing will ever, not even the devil himself, will ever prevail against it. And for 2,000 years, that's exactly what has happened. But do you know how it happened? Oh, again, we know the story. Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, inspired the disciples. They began to speak in languages that they didn't understand to proclaim the good news. But the method upon which the church was built is two tiny little words. Follow me. Follow me, Jesus said. Think like I think. Act like I act. Love like I love. Care for other people in the same way that I cared for them. Listen to their hurt. Heal them when you can. And at all times proclaim that there is a God in heaven who is real, not a figment of someone's imagination, not just a philosophy that has been made up, but real. As you see me, Jesus said, in the flesh, 
who knows what you're going through, who hurts when you hurt, who suffers like you do. That God became flesh so that you could understand him and know his love as you see me, Jesus said, dying, hanging on the cross. So that that gulf, that gap between you and God would go away. And you can live with him forever. And in the meantime, receive all of the blessings that he has for you, his people. Now, has that happened? Again, we could go through all kinds of examples, but I'm going to give you just a couple. Fast forward. How many disciples are there at this point? Twelve. How many are there today? Well, the 12 went to about 70, and then the 70 went to about 120, and then there were about 3,000 added at Pentecost. And within the next 100 years, there was another 100,000 people. You know what's so impressive about that? Christianity is illegal. The people were persecuted. If you were a Christian in that first and second century, you could have your property taken away, your house burned down, they would arrest you. They would take you to the arena. And there either you were eaten by the lions, fought the gladiators, or just burned for fun. And 100,000 people, I mean, it's, it's more than a Bears-Packers game. They'd come out to watch the spectacle. And yet Christianity flourished. It proliferated because the people around them, they said, wow, look at this. They've had their property taken away. They're being persecuted. They're even being killed. And yet, they love us authentically. How much so? Well, there was a plague in the Roman Empire about 260 AD. A third to a half of the people in all of Europe died. Say, that's a lot. That's a lot of people. And the pagans, they were so afraid of the plague, what did they do? They would take their dead and not yet dead. So you'd take your wife, your husband, your grandma, your grandpa, your children, and you would put them on an ox cart. And you would just leave them in the street, even before they were dead. And the undertaker would come along and he would upend that ox cart like it was dirt. But the Christian, they would come out and they would pick up these bodies. And those that were alive, they would carry back to their homes and they would nurse them back to health. Or if they died, they would then go and bury them themselves. The emperor at the time was Julian. He was so impressed by what the Christians did. He said, look at them. They, they are making us look bad. He said to all his pagan friends, they're making us look bad. Let's, let's make a law. Let's make a law that we have to do the same thing, that we have to take care of people. How do you think that worked out? It failed. It failed miserably because you cannot legislate, legislate love and kindness. But when you are motivated by a God who loves you, who has worked out your eternity, who has forgiven your sins and who is there with you in the midst of your suffering, 
Then you'll become the hands and the feet of Jesus himself. And so for 2,000 years, that's exactly what has happened. People's lives are transformed from, from takers, thinking only of themselves, to givers, who look at the needs of others. We're transformed from, from people who hurt to those who are healed. And then look for others who are hurting, and we listen to them. And where we can, we heal them physically. But we always proclaim the good news of God who is real. I mean, just look there on your notes at all the things that are influenced. Either, either they were invented by Sunday people or enhanced. The modern hospital, the Red Cross, modern universities. We go on to literacy and education. We continue with free enterprise, representative government. As we know, Abraham Lincoln abolished slavery here in America. It happened also in Europe. We elevated women to a higher status. Look at any other religion in the world. Only in Christianity is everyone treated fairly and rightly. Of those original disciples of the 70 and the 120, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, Salome, they were there at the burial. Lydia in Philippi was a leader in the church, and on and on it goes to the point of charity, the very concept of generosity. Give as we have been given to. Love others as we have first been loved. And it all began with the two words. Can you say them with me? What are they? Follow me, Jesus said. Follow me. So I've just given you 18 minutes of why I love Sundays, of why Sundays have changed the world. Now you have three minutes to make your choice. All right? Three minutes to make your decision here. Sunday, September the 17th, big bulletin board over there. It was in the e-letter this week. Next week you're going to have... That whole wall back there filled with spaces of where you can serve on Sunday, September the 17th. We do this once a year. Okay, this year, twice a year. Once a year. We're going to take a Sunday. We're going to meet at 8 o'clock. We're going to worship. We're going to meet again at 9.30 in education hour and worship again. And then at 11 o'clock, we would have already been done by now. You get five minutes on September the 17th. Everybody applaud and say thank you very much. Five minutes of me, and then we'll sing a song, we'll have a rallying cry, you'll have your directions, and you're going to go out there. Because this is what we do with Sunday people. We meet on Sundays to be filled with the Word of God, to receive the absolution, to be encouraged and strengthened by the body and blood of Christ. And then with God's other Sunday people, we go out there and we be the church. We get filled up on Sundays. We get encouraged and inspired, and then we go out and live as Sunday people the other six days of the week. So, how many of you are going to be here on Sunday, September the 17th? Raise your hand. How many of you can serve in the church one Sunday a year? Say, I can. Can you say it loud? I can. How many of you plan not to be here that day? 
I'm on vacation, you say. I've got a ball game to go to. My family is in town. I will drag them along with you. You do it to the ball game, drag them to church, drag them out to serve. I hear there's going to be ice cream. Is that right? Maybe even beer. Can you believe that? On a Sunday. Now, only after, only after. God loves Sunday. Because he loves you. And he gives us this day of the week where we can rest and refocus and be refueled by the word of God. And then he wants to use us who have gathered together a Sunday people, just like you and me. And he uses us just as he has for the last 2,000 years. Transform the world. How's he going to use you to transform your, just your little corner. Can you listen to the hurts of others? Can you fill a need when you see it? Can you use those tools, use your gifts, whatever you are, a spatula, a ladle, a spoon? Can you use your gifts be Christ, hands and feet, to love and to care for others. I think you can. Amen? Amen. Let's all rise. Right.